taking a break from Mark's gospel, and we will return to Mark's gospel and finish up Mark's gospel in January in the new year. Uh, but during the season of Advent and in uh, Christmas, we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. We're going to spend the next four Sundays in in Matthew one one through seventeen, and in Matthew's genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And then we'll move on to Matthew 1, 18 through uh, 25 there in, in the following um, uh, services, and Eve of the Eve and Christmas morning. And uh, then we will return to Mark in the new year. But for now, we're going to be looking at Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Um, and if you, if you want to stand with us whenever you get there as we read... God's Word together out of respect and, and honor for God's Word. Again, we're in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, just how the New Testament begins. It's the beginning of Matthew's Gospel and the New Testament's introduction to who our Lord and Savior is for us. Let's listen to God's word as it was written by Matthew and inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the, the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matin, and Matin the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you bless and anoint the reading and proclamation of your word to the exaltation of Christ and our edification and encouragement. We pray that as we, as we explore this genealogy over the next 
four Sundays that you would increase in us longing and anticipation and hope in the Lord Jesus, our Savior, who was promised so long ago and who has come and who will come again to fulfill all those promises and to fulfill all the longings of our hearts. May that be so evident this morning and this month as we explore Matthew's genealogy of Jesus here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I was recently talking with one of the, the dads in our congregation here about how one of his children had recently come into ownership of her very own copy, one of those little mini New Testaments. And with having become a strong reader in the last few years and having found this little mini New Testament to be maybe a bit less daunting than the whole of the Bible, she decided she was going to read it, and she was excited, and, and Dad was encouraging her to do it, and it was all very exciting, that is, until she actually began to read it. It was a bit disheartening to get into the New Testament, and then the first things first, be met with a, a long list of names, some of which are hard to pronounce, and it kind of took the wind out of her sails and the air out of her balloon, so to speak. And maybe you've experienced that. Perhaps you've participated in one of those read-the-Bible-in-a-year plans, and, and, and after you've worked your way through the entirety of the Old Testament, you've made it through Leviticus. Congratulations! And you, 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 you get to the end of the Old Testament, and you're finally to the New Testament, and then in the first chapter, you find something that you, you don't find to be all that thrilling. It's a list of names. It's a family tree, and so you just kind of skim over it and try to get to the good stuff, right? We're not going to do that in this Advent season. Over the next four Sundays, we are going to read this genealogy. We're going to plant ourselves in this list of names, and we're going we're gonna to dig for buried treasure. And I'm confident that we'll find some because the Bible always rewards those who dig with precious treasures, now, the treasures we're going to find here are, are, are numerous, which is why we'll spend four Sundays looking at Matthew 1, 1 through 17. But even then, we're just going to be, be exploring some of what is precious here. And I, I know this because as I've only given myself uh, to, to a, a, a significant effort of studying Matthew's genealogy of Jesus here three times. And what I found each time is that there's far more here than I originally ever saw. And I found that to be true again over the last few weeks. And kind of with that, with the overarching, the, the overarching purpose of this genealogy, and that which will be the, the theme that really ties this whole series together, it really matches with the entirety of the, the season of Advent that Brian was speaking to earlier, of our celebrating and our waiting and our, our longing. The, the overarching theme of this series, of this genealogy, is that Jesus is the longed-for Messiah in whom God's promises are fulfilled. And that he's therefore worth trusting and following with everything that you are. That, that theme will tie our whole series together. And that theme really ties into the entirety of Matthew's gospel here. Matthew's gospel is interested in making a case for its readers to trust in and follow Jesus with everything that they are. And Matthew was originally interested in making this case to Hebrews, to Jews, to the physical descendants of Abraham. To put it simply, Matthew's gospel is the gospel for the Jews. And so to start with, he begins with a genealogy that shows that Jesus, he's, he's, he's not starting everything over. He's not God's 
redo. He's not an addendum to Israel's story. He shares this genealogy to show that Jesus is plan A. Jesus is the OG plan. He is that which God always intended. He comes to be the fulfillment of all of God's promises found within the Old Testament and in his covenants with the people of Israel. But what's more is that these promises and their fulfillments, they don't just speak to the the longings of the people of Israel here. The reality is that these promises and their fulfillment speak to the longings really of every human heart. They speak to the longings of the hearts of everyone the world over. Anyone who has ever longed for, for the blessing of wholeness and peace and flourishing, anyone who's longed for peace with God, peace with others, Anyone who's ever longed for wholeness within and throughout the, the entirety of the created order? Anyone who's ever longed for a righteous ruler and a righteous government reigning over the earth? Anyone who's ever longed for belonging and comfort in God's presence? Anyone who's ever longed for forgiveness of sin? And inclusion and the favor in people of God forever. Anyone who's ever longed for these kinds of realities, which is all of us, will find alongside the people of Israel that Jesus has come to fulfill these longings. And that's what Matthew's genealogy is trying to show us. Then with that, if we were gonna, if we were gonna boil down the longings of God's people and the promises of God to Israel, if we were gonna to boil it down to just two, two longings, two promises. It would have to be God's promises made to Abraham and God's promises made to David. That would have been a Jewish person's left hand and right hand. These two promises were were the, the major promises, the focal points in the history of redemption. If you were to go up to a Jewish person in the first century and ask them what it is they were hoping for, why they were longing for the arrival of the Messiah, they would tell you either about God's promise to Abraham or God's promise to David, maybe both. And so you can see here that these two names are focal points in Matthew's genealogy here. These two names serve as as kind of organizing principles, headings for the whole genealogy, right? Uh, One of the organizing principles, one of the headings is not a name, it's an event, the deportation, exile to Babylon, but also the names Abraham and David are two names that serve as headings for this genealogy. They are organizing principles, names and people around which Matthew's genealogy is organized, and all because of God's unique promises to these two men concerning their offspring and who their offspring would be and what their offspring would accomplish. So it's no surprise with that that the introduction to Matthew's genealogy says here, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And then the genealogy begins by saying that Abraham was the father of Isaac. So these first two Sundays... Our time in Matthew's genealogy, we're going to spend them looking at, at the first two headings. Next week, we'll look at how Jesus is King David's royal son. But this morning, we're going to see how, how Jesus is Father Abraham's promised offspring. And we'll explore how Jesus came to be the offspring of Abraham, through whom all nations will be blessed. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, through whom all nations will be blessed. Blessed, and we'll explore this big idea by taking each part of it, first seeing that Jesus brings the longed-for blessing, 
Second, that Jesus is the promised offspring. And third, that Jesus came to bless all nations. First, though, let's see how Jesus brings the promised blessing. Jesus brings the longed-for blessing. One, one of the deepest longings of God's people was for the arrival of God's promised blessing to Abraham. And uh, to understand this, we really have to go back to the beginning, which is what Matthew wants us to do. And, and he shows us this by giving us a little hint in the first verse of Matthew here. Again, it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, now that's, that's an accurate translation, but one of the words there translated has a bit of a double meaning. This word translated as genealogy is a bit more of a textured word that can certainly be translated as genealogy, but it can also be translated as beginning or genesis. In fact, it is the word genesis. And it's meant to bring the reader's mind to, back to the first book of the Bible, a book by that very name, Genesis. And Genesis just means beginning or origins. And so often we think of the book of Genesis as, as being given that name because it tells us about the origin of creation, and that's what the first few chapters are about. About God creating and making all things, and about His creating our first parents, and they're living in utter harmony in this garden paradise God created. However, this, the, the, the book of Genesis is, is, is about far more than just the beginning of the created order. It also tells us about the genesis of the fall in chapter 3, when the created order was put under a curse because of the sin of our first parents. That was the beginning, the genesis of all that is wrong with the world. The reason people are far from God. The reason people are at enmity with one another, the reason we carry around within us a deep sense of guilt and fear and shame, the reason that the created order seems so often marked by scarcity and chaos and violence and destruction is all rooted in humanity's rebellion against God in the garden. That's where it began. That was its origin, its genesis. But what's more is that Genesis, the book of Genesis, is also about the beginning or the genesis of God's plan to undo that curse. It's about God's plan to bless humanity in all of creation to its own flourishing in happiness. And it all started with a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. In Genesis 12, against the backdrop of, of that curse and of humanity's fall into sin, God calls a man named Abram. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God says to this Abram, hey, go, go from your country and from your father's house to this land that I will show you. And he says, I will make of you a great nation. And listen, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the nations of the earth all the families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Five times here, God promises blessing to and through Abram. And again, this is, this is meant to be against this backdrop of the fall and the curse of Genesis 3 through 11. Genesis 3 through 11 shows that every dimension of life is fractured as a result of the fall and the curse. The earth lies under a curse because of humanity's rebellion against God. But here in Genesis 12, God promises to undo that reality and send his blessing. Genesis 12 is meant to be, meant to be seen as God's promise to, to undo the curse and the fall of the created order with his blessing through this man, Abram. 
put it as simply as possible, here's the blessing. God is going to undo the curse. God is going to cause humanity and all of creation to flourish. As one theologian put it, Abraham's blessing is this. Abraham's blessing is God's solution to all the world's problems. What are the world's problems? Well, Genesis 3 through 11 shows it pretty clearly. It all begins within each of us. Within each of us is a fallen, evil heart whose thoughts or intentions are only evil continually, Genesis 6, 5 tells us. Within each of us is a sinful rebellion against God and His ways. Within the world's problems, don't, don't in there, as we see throughout Genesis 3 through 11, because of the evil within each of us, the world itself has become marked by strife and violence and enmity between human beings and communities and nations. Human history is, is marked by prejudice and racism and sexual deviancy and abuse and murder and genocide and on and on we can go. And this chaos, this chaos is not just limited to the human race, it's evident in the entirety of the created order. Romans 8.22 says the created order is groaning within itself. This is evident every time we witness wildfires and hurricanes and earthquakes and natural disasters. The world's problems span the entirety of the created order and go as deep in and are present in even within each and every individual human heart. And God plans to undo that curse, to undo those problems with his blessing through Abram. Not long ago, I watched a video on, on YouTube of the, the destruction of Hurricane Ian in Fort Myers. It was this kind of time-lapse video that just showed the wind and the rain and the flood slowly kind of overtaking this block in Fort Myers filled with hotels and resorts and parking lots and gardens and slowly, the, the street and the parking lots and the gardens just began to fill with water until they were absolutely overtaken. Cars were completely submerged in the flood. Buildings were badly damaged. Strong winds were battering the buildings and the trees and knocking them over. It was utter destruction and devastation. Well, just imagine for a moment that if, if, if we set that video in reverse... So that those waters began slowly receding. And the places and the things that gave way to destruction were slowly but surely restored. Gardens flourished again. Buildings were put back to right order. Everything was, was put back into the state of, of wholeness and chaos and desolation gave way to shalom and peace. That's what God plans to do through Abram. God's promise to Abram is this promise to reverse the curse of Genesis 3 and to make his blessing flow so that all the world and all humanity and all creation would flourish. It's just as we sing in joy to the world this time of year. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, God has begun to over, send the overflow of this blessing and to reverse the curse in the advent of the Lord Jesus. In the advent of the Lord Jesus, he ushered in a time in which the curse of our guilt and sin's power over us has gone in reverse. In Christ, in Abraham's offspring, Romans 4, 1 through 12, tells us that we've received forgiveness of sin and divine justification. 
In other words, in Christ, our guilt is taken away, and we are declared righteous by the judge of all heaven and earth. And Abraham's offspring, Galatians 3, 1 through 14, tells us that God has given us his life-giving spirit and this promise to Abraham, the one, the, the, the spirit comes to indwell God's people and undo this curse by giving us power to fight sin's corruption within. That part of the curse has been and is being undone. But then that's just the start. That's just the beginning. That's just the Genesis. Romans 4, 13 tells us that this promised blessing of Abraham includes our inheriting the new world and the age to come. In the second advent of Abraham's offspring, we're going to inherit a world wherein there's no more brokenness, no more sin at all, no more death, no more mourning and crying and pain, no more fractured relationships, no more unfulfilled longings, no more not yet and not enough, no more tensions and conflicts and stress. It will be a world that no longer groans, no more disasters. No more desolation, no more destruction. God is going to remake this created order for his people and give them eternal life within it. He's going to undo that curse. He's doing it in and through Abram. God is forgiving, he's giving us the forgiveness of sins, he's giving us a future that's secure. He's giving an eternal happiness under his favor forever and ever. That's what God promised to do through Abram. That's what God's people in all of humanity has longed for. And this is what Jesus has come to bring. And we know that he's come to bring it because Jesus is the promised offspring. Jesus is the promised offspring. Look at me next at how Jesus is the promised offspring. Now, when we, when we read Genesis 12, 3, we saw that the Lord made this promise to Abram, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In Abram, this blessing will come. And that just begs the question, what does in you mean? In you, how? As we read on through Genesis, it becomes more and more apparent that it's actually through Abram's progeny that God plans to accomplish this blessing. It will be through Abraham's offspring, his descendants. That's what in you means here. God will bless the whole world and all the nations of the earth in Abraham, that is, through the offspring that comes from his body. And at times, this word offspring, we, we see it a lot in, in the section of Genesis dealing with Abram. It, at times, we see this word offspring, this promise to bless the world through Abraham's offspring. It's often clearly in reference to the people of the nation of Israel. It's through this community this nation that came through Abraham's body, the Lord plans to bless the earth. But at other times, when we see this reference to offspring, it's clearly in reference to an individual. We see this in Genesis 22, 17 and 18, where the Lord says to Abraham, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So it's through Abraham's offspring that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And this offspring is obviously speaking here about an individual because he says in verse 17 that he shall possess the gate of his enemies. He's talking about a person, a man, an individual. The Apostle Paul picks up this, this 
uh, truth when he writes in Galatians 3.16 that the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Paul says it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, into your offspring who is Christ. You see, the nation of Israel was Abraham's offsprings, as it were, and through them, God promised to bless all the nations of the earth, but the way that he planned to do that was to use them, in a sense, as the national womb through which the Messiah would be delivered. The nation of Israel was like a box that you receive on Christmas morning. You know, the dads, dads in the room love to make that joke. They get a box for Christmas, and you know a gift is in there, but he makes the dad joke. He says, oh, great, a box, everything I ever wanted. It's a classic dad joke. You dads, you can use that one on Christmas morning if you haven't already. But, but the nation of Israel was just like that kind of box that you receive on, on Christmas morning. It's the box that contains the gift on the inside, and just so. The nation of Israel was that which contained the Christ. It was through Israel that we received the Christ, which is the gift of the offspring spoken of. And it's through the Christ, this individual offspring, that God planned to specifically bless the whole world. This is what Matthew wants us to see here, which is why he gives this introduction to his genealogy, calling Jesus the son of Abraham. This is why Matthew begins his genealogy, the name of Abraham, and ends it with the name of Christ. This is why he writes that from all generations, from Abraham to David were 14, from David to the deportation, 14, and from the deportation to the Christ, 14. He begins with Abraham, he ends with Christ because Christ is the promised offspring. This is, this is, is so forcefully seen here when we understand that really Matthew could have, he could have started his genealogy with anybody. It could have started with David, and that would make sense, and, and David's obviously a huge focal point in Matthew's genealogy. It'd be entirely appropriate for him to start with David, but Matthew doesn't start with David. He, he could have started like Luke does. He could have gone all the way back to the, our, our first parents. He could have gone all the way back to the very beginning of the human race with Adam and started there. Luke does that very thing for a particular purpose in his genealogy in Luke 3. And yet, Matthew's genealogy doesn't start there. He starts with Abraham because he wants us to see that Jesus is the offspring of Abraham promised so long ago through whom this blessing will come. If you grew up in church, or even if you attended Sunday school with a friend every now and again, you'll likely remember singing that song, sung in every Sunday school across America, the song Father Abraham. <coughs> Excuse me. I remember singing Father Abraham in, in super church when I was a kid. We would march in place. I would, I would sing my guts out. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. It's a glorious song. And it's true in one sense that Father Abraham had many sons, but in another sense, he only had one son. The Lord Jesus Christ, the promised offspring, the one through whom God intended to accomplish his plan to bless all the nations of the earth. Which brings us lastly to this reality that Jesus came to bless all nations. Jesus came to bless all nations. This blessing was intended for Abraham. It was intended for Abraham's offspring, but it was also intended 
for a people from every nation, tribe, tongue of the earth to be blessed through Abraham and through his offspring. In you, Yahweh says in Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the nations, all the families. It says in Genesis 22, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God intends to go global with his blessing so that a people from all the families, all the tribes, all the nations of the earth will be recipients of his promised blessing. And Matthew intends to highlight that for us here, both by beginning and ending his gospel with this reality. He bookends his gospel with this all nations theme. The very end of Matthew's gospel Matthew records for us the words of Jesus' great commission, in which Jesus commissions his church. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. He commissions the church there to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel to all nations and to help those who believe in him from every nation follow him by baptizing them and to teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. That's the great commission. That's our mission as Christians and as a church. And it's a global mission meant to go to all nations. And if that call to go and make disciples of, of all nations sounds familiar to you, it should. Because we just read something very similar in Genesis 12. The Lord called Abraham to go from his home, to go from his family, to go from his people in order that all nations might be blessed through him. The great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28 is really something of an echo of Genesis 12 as Matthew ends his gospel with this Abrahamic calling commission. Then he begins it, he begins his gospel with this all nations theme as well. Here, again, he begins his gospel with Jesus being Father Abraham's promised offspring through whom He'll bless all the nations of the earth, all the peoples, not just Israel, but all nations are the intended recipients of God's promised blessing. And this is highlighted here for us with, with the mention of four women in Matthew's gospel. And we'll actually devote a, a, a whole sermon to these women on the fourth Sunday of Advent, but it's, it's enough for us to notice here that the mention of these four women highlights this all nations theme, Tamar. In verse 3, it, it would have been extremely unusual for someone to include women in the first century in a genealogy such as this, but Matthew does it, and he does it for a particular purpose. He mentions Tamar in verse 3. He mentions Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba in verse 5. These four women are all either Gentiles, that is non-Jews, or they're Gentile adjacent. Matthew's pointing out this this Gentile presence in the family tree of Jesus to show us that he came not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, for the nations. So we look at Matthew's genealogy and we see these women's names, these women, their, their names mentioned, we can know that Matthew's trying to show us the people that Jesus came for or uh, the, the people that Jesus came from in order to reveal to us the kind of people Jesus came for. He came from the nations. He came for the Gentiles. He came for a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue of the earth. He came to bring the blessing God promised to Abraham so long ago. And he did this because he was commissioned. Jesus was commissioned, similar to Abraham. In Genesis 12, there Abraham was commissioned to go from his home so that all nations would be blessed through him. And just the same, Jesus was commissioned by God the Father to go from his heavenly home so that all nations would be 
blessed through him, and he was sent from the praises and perfections and pleasures of heaven to come to this earth, this land, so that all nations will be blessed. But then unlike Abraham, Jesus wasn't just promised blessing. In truth, it was, it was promised to Abraham that he would be blessed to be a blessing. But unlike Abraham, Jesus actually came to be cursed for our blessing. He actually came to be cursed so that we would receive the blessing of God. That curse of Genesis 3 that has invaded the entirety of the created order and cast all humanity under the condemnation of our first parents, that curse fell upon Jesus, the only one deserving of true blessing. That curse fell on Jesus. He took that curse upon himself on the cross. He took on the curse that we all deserve, but that he alone didn't. He took that curse on the cross, and then he rose again three days later so that that curse would be reversed and so that God's intended blessings might flow to all humanity in and through him. Jesus died a cursed death on a tree, and he rose again so that God's blessing might come to a people from every nation of the earth. And that's how Abraham's offspring brings the longed-for blessing to all nations, and that's how we're recipients of it here this morning. Before we close, what do we do with this? What do we do with this, this information that God has promised and, and sent blessing through Jesus, Abraham's offspring? Well, the first thing we do with it is just rest. We just rest in it. We could say trust, but I need it in our word. So we say rest. We just rest in God's promises. We trust Him. We believe Him. That's part of Matthew's purpose, again, here in his gospel, is to beckon us to trust Christ because of who He is for us. It's the first thing we do here. We, we, we rightly would ask, how do we get in on God's promised blessing through Abraham? How do we get in on this blessing stuff? How do we, how do we get to, to the beginning of that blessing, and how do we know that it's secure for us in the future? Well, we get in on it in the same way that Abraham did, how did Abraham get in on it? Genesis 15, 6 tells us Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's how Abraham got in on God's promised blessing. God promised to bless Abraham and to bless all peoples through Abraham's offspring and Abraham trusted God. Abraham rested in God's promise and that was it. He was in. And so it is with us. If you want to get in on God's promises, all you have to do is to come with the empty hands of faith. Trust God, believe Him, rest in His promises and the work of His Son. And like Abraham, God's blessing is yours. Fully, completely, without any conditions other than just receiving it with faith and humility. It does not matter your ethnic background. It does not matter your moral background. It does not matter your family background. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. If you trust in Christ this morning, you are declared righteous. You're brought into the family of God, and you're made a recipient of the blessing of Abraham. Paul argues this very thing in Galatians 3. In 7 to 9, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justi justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you, 
shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, are blessed, are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And this may seem pretty basic to some of you. This may seem pretty basic to somebody that, that, that we get in on God's gospel and blessing and promises through faith. And it is basic. It's Christianity 101. My sins are forgiven. My future is secure because of Christ and his work on the cross. My inclusion in the people of God is given as a result of Christ and my rest in him. I simply receive it through faith. I know this. However, if you're anything like me, I have to be reminded of it over and over and over again that I am in not as a result of my works or worthiness, but as a result of Christ's works and worthiness. And that I'm in simply by resting in Him. I need to be reminded of this over and over and over again. I'm continually coming back to Christianity 101. I'm in perpetual elementary school of the gospel. You know why? Because my default is to believe that God's favor and blessing comes to me depending on something in me. I revert back to that so easily and so often. It was Luther who once said, I preach the gospel every week to my people because every week they forget it. We do, we forget it. Dane Ortland so aptly put it in Gentle and Lowly, he says there's an entire psychological substructure that due to the fall is a near constant manufacturing of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, score keeping, neurotic controlling, anxiety festering, silliness. That is not something we say or even think so much as something we exhale. You can smell it on people, though some are good at hiding it. And if you trace this fountain of scurrying haste in all of its various manifestations down to the root, you don't find childhood difficulties or Meyer-Briggs diagnosis or Freudian impulses. You find gospel deficit. This is an ongoing issue in all of us. I read Galatians a lot this morning. The Galatians had this very issue, friends. That's why Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia concerning the promised blessing of Abraham through faith. Because they were buying into this false message that God's favor and blessing coming to them depended on them and their identity and their works. So we can read in Paul's epistle to the Galatians. We can read it. We can scoff at them. But the reality of us, all of us, default to law and legalism apart from intentionally remembering and bathing in this truth of the gospel that God's promised blessing comes to us through faith alone, in Abraham's offspring alone. That there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to make us worthy of it. It comes through the sheer grace of God and through the promised offspring of Abraham. Rest, rest in him. Some of you are, 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 are coming in here this morning so burdened and heaped with guilt and shame and frustration and feelings of condemnation. Some of you are coming in here this morning feeling like that. I'm telling you, if you trust in Christ, it's all been taken away. You are forgiven. You are declared righteous. Just like our father Abraham, because of his offspring. Jesus was faithful in your place. 
Jesus died in your place. Jesus' righteousness has been given to you, granted to you, so that you are declared righteous with the very righteousness of the perfect Son of God. Your guilt is taken away, friend. And you are a recipient of God's promised blessing. It's coming for you. It's coming when He comes again. It's coming for you. You can set your hope on the age to come and know that it's yours for certain because Jesus, because of Jesus, He's enough. He is so enough. He is enough enoughness. You don't need anything else. He is sufficient for you. Rest. Then not only rest, represent. Represent. Represent as recipients of this divine blessing. We're also commissioned like Abraham, like his offspring, to bring the good news of this blessing to all peoples. Between the two advents of Abraham's offspring, we've been given a mission to represent and witness the message of Christ and his blessing to all nations. Jesus has given us his great commission in Matthew 28 to bring news of this blessing to all nations. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to others, and likewise, we've been blessed that we might extend this blessing to others. This blessing comes with responsibility. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And that begins, obviously, with our own people, right? People we live among and alongside in our homes and city and neighborhoods and nation where We're called to bring the good news of the promised blessing, the undoing of all that's wrong with the world, God's solution to all the world's problems, our guilt taken away, our future secure, a future of flourishing in God's presence. We're called to bring that message of that blessing to our family, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our neighbors. And so simply ask, are you, parents, when when your children sin, which they inevitably will, you shout moral platitudes at them? Do you give them law and legalism as the solution to what's wrong with them? Or do you give them the good news of Abraham's blessing through Christ? Do you give them the gospel and call them to rest in it? Share the good news of this gospel with your friends and coworkers and neighbors. Is doing so on your radar? Are, are, are you Are there people that God has providentially placed in your life that you have yet to tell about what Jesus has done for us? Are there people coming to your mind right now that you need to speak with about the difference Jesus has made in your life and and that he can make in theirs? And do you realize that living in this way that extends the truth of God's blessing to others is not an optional extra in the Christian life? It's not for super elite extra Christians. It's a responsibility laid upon everyone who's received this blessing themselves. It's part of the design from the beginning. We're blessed to be a blessing so that all the peoples of the earth would hear and be included as well. This includes a call to go to all the nations. Some of us wonder why at Veritas we We talk about bringing the gospel to unreached peoples and missions crossing cultures and oceans and borders to bring this gospel. Why do we talk about that? Why is that something of an emphasis here? Well, it's really very simple. It's because that from the beginning, that's been God's plan. It's part of the Abrahamic blessing. This gospel, this blessing is for all nations. And what's more is that this blessing hasn't reached every nation yet. It hasn't reached every people yet. 
There are peoples and nations that have yet to believe and receive God's blessing. And what's more is that there are peoples and nations that don't even have access to this good news of God's blessing. As we're called to be faithful representatives of Christ here in our land and among our people, but there's a reality that there's a whole lot of Christians here already. So that just about anyone living here in the United States, even if they don't believe the gospel, they can still have access to the gospel in one way or another. However, there are peoples among nations the world over that don't yet believe the gospel and they don't even have access to it that they might believe it. So doesn't it just make sense that a few of us should be sent to go and live among these peoples that they might have access to the gospel as well? Of course it makes sense. That's part of God's plan. From Genesis 12 to Matthew 28, we see this is part of God's plan. So I'm still praying for people, for members of Veritas, families, individuals of Veritas to begin to sense this call to go to the nations, to be sent, to be a gospel presence among peoples who might otherwise have no access to the gospel. And listen, that doesn't mean that you need to become a pastor or go to seminary or whatever. You could just work a normal job in whatever field you work in here and go do it among peoples who have yet to be reached with the gospel and just live a normal Christian life there as a witness to God's gospel and blessing. So the gospel would go forth to the nations and peoples of this earth. So I'm just put, trying to put a rock in your shoe. Would you just, would you just begin... All of us, all of us should just begin to be open to the reality that God might call us to do that. All of us should be open to that reality. This is an essential part of God's plan. We should just be open to that reality. I'm not saying you need to pick up and move tomorrow. I'm just saying open yourself up to the possibility that God might call you to do that. I'm a firm believer that all of us should be open to whatever God calls us to do, whether that be stay or go. All of us should be open to whatever God calls us to do. And for most of us, he's probably not calling us to go. For most of us, he's probably calling us to stay here and witness here and support and send those who do go. But I'm convinced that there's a few of us in this room right now that will call across cultures and oceans and borders and all because God intends that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. We've received this blessing from Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. And we're called to extend it to others as well. So a few of us might be called to go. Just as Jesus has come as the promised offspring for us. Just as he came for us to bring God's promised blessing. Just as he came to bring God's promised blessing to all nations. He came to reverse this curse, to undo all that is wrong with the world all of the world's problems and replace it with flourishing and favor. He came to bring forgiveness and justification. He came to make all things new. He came to give us a perfect inheritance. Friends, may we be faithful to rest in and represent this gospel promise, this reality, to extend this unmatched blessing to others. Let's pray together. Father, seal this word upon our hearts as we come to the table and experience communion with the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Strengthen us to rest in the gospel and to represent Christ to others well. In Jesus' name, amen.